0: Hello, it's Brody. I love bringing mummification to you each week and if you'd like to support me to keep doing that, you can make a once-off donation through the Acast supporter feature. There's no regular subscription and your donation will help pay our music licence, buy audio gear and put fuel in my car so I can keep interviewing the amazing women who share their stories with us. There's a link in the show description and episode show notes.
1: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello
0: and welcome to Mummification. I'm your host, Brody Matner. This podcast is a space for women and parents to talk about how they're feeling. And sometimes they feel like swearing. So this episode may not be suitable for young ears. Now, Dana... Dana, Dana. I needed to check because <laughs> I okay. had my um, my drama teacher in Year Twelve was Dana, but oh. it's spelled the same way. Yeah, actually, I haven't she heard, heard that one. Say Dana is in spanner. and Dana. <laughs> that's good. Like, okay, so Dana.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I get I get both all the time. <laughs> it is actually Dana. Dana.
0: <laughs> Dana. Great. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So good. (laughs) Dana Stevenson is a senior artist with the Australian Ballet. She is mum to two-year-old twins, Lulu and Lottie, and Jasper, six. Thank you for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming, but I'm glad we can make it happen. And I'm so sorry that you have still come, even though you've got a cold, and you
2: probably don't really feel like chatting to me for an hour. It's just really hard to get... Like all mums, you just you just don't recover. You just don't sleep. It, it no just um, hangs around. So, yes, I'm sorry for my husky voice today. <laughs> we could spin it and say it's
0: sexy. Yeah. Like. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, if you were stuck on a desert island and you could take one meal, one drink and one personal item, oh. what would you take?
2: I would probably have a steak, a really nice steak um, with some really nice fries. Yeah, maybe some greens, but the steak and the fries are important. A really nice Pinot Noir would be great. Uh, One personal item. Mm. I would probably say a book. Because I just would love to read a book. How nice I have grand plans to read books all the time. I read snippets, sometimes a page, <laughs> but like a whole book. I'd love to read a whole book. What is on your list? Um, I've got Georgie Abbe's Best Laid Plans at the moment. Um, I've got lots on my book stand that don't get read. There's a couple of um, ballerina biographies that I'm in- interested in reading. Uh, yeah, but probably something a little bit more escapism maybe. Yes. Yeah. Um, let's start with
0: you had your twins during COVID lockdowns mm-hmm. in Melbourne. Um, how was that experience being a multiple birth in lockdown different to when you had Jasper?
2: So different. So different. Um, a multiple birth is just a different experience anyway. So from seven weeks when we knew we were having twins, it was like, oh, okay, okay, like so different immediately. And I, you can't even know what the twin experience is like. Um, naturally, the pregnancy is higher risk. So even though my, my twins are fraternal, so it was two sacs, two placentas, they were They were healthy in that respect. Um, There were so many more scans. Um, But, yes, I found out I was pregnant just before COVID. I did my last shows knowing they were my last shows and then COVID shut down the ballet, shut down the world. Um, So the entire pregnancy was in a COVID lockdown pretty much. Um, It was really stressful, yeah, and Lockie was away in Sydney when he could be and then we had the interstate lockout Um, so that was pretty stressful. Before that happened we would drive up and down the Hume Highway (laughs) Um, so I'd do a week in Melbourne with my son Jasper and I was working from home and then while while this was still allowed, we'd drive up. He'd drive down to get me and drive up and have a week up there and then drive back down. And then he'd go because they were still able to film. Um, so it was very isolating, obviously. Um, Oh, just for
0: anyone that doesn't know, you're married to Lockie Gillespie oh. who is the Purple Wiggle. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> to put that into yeah. context for why he was up there and filming.
2: Yes, it. and they they film they work in Sydney. They film in Sydney, and I'm based in Melbourne. So, um, is he is he
0: previous to you getting together? Was he based in Sydney? Yes. Right. Okay. So,
2: um, I feel like. That sense of family that sense of sharing things together like as a family just ourselves and then with the ex, you know extra family around even though our family's in Brisbane the ability to always be able to fly to Brisbane to fly to Sydney I used to pop up for the weekend to see Lockie or he'd pop down that ability just totally disappeared um and I say this knowing that everyone was affected. It's, it's obviously not just, you know, our situation, but we were so used to having that flexibility and it was totally gone. So then when the, the states got locked out, the border came up. Um, he had to decide to come down to Melbourne. So then he tried to do some filming from home <laughs> and things like that. All the while, um, while I was pregnant, and there was some concern actually about the twins, while uh i was pregnant that they something presented in their hearts on one of the scan um that there was a heart problem in one of them and then it was in the other and then roundabout they thought it was in me as well and this is yeah with no family around it was pretty stressful and were you also
0: doing those scans and having those
2: tests on your own, absolutely. Yeah, by yourself. Yeah, I was lucky when I found out I was having twins. Lucky was there. I was pretty much the only one, um, and I'm really glad yeah. <laughs> he was there for that. Uh, but yeah, all the other ones, yeah, and they were long with twin scans. They're an hour each for each twin. Oh wow! So it was like two hours, and in the mask and the heated room, and they'd be going over there, the four chambers of their heart, for so long. Um, and I'd go in sometimes twice a week. All weekly, yeah, it was, and kind of still not knowing pregnancy, inconclusive, hard to tell, we'll have to wait till they're out. Um, so that really informed our next kind of decision um, to basically try to get to Queensland, which was like a desert island at that point, um, where both our families were. So we applied for an exemption, um, our doctor wrote a letter um, and then we were able to get an obstetrician in Brisbane to write for us. So we applied through um, the chief health officer up there because there was some quite a concern that the girls would have heart problems. We'd be in Melbourne in lockdown, no help. One baby maybe in the NICU, two babies in the NICU, Jasper, like no idea of what circumstance that would look like. So we were very, very lucky that we were granted an exemption. So we uh, drove up to Brisbane. You had to drive straight up so you didn't stop, Um, straight up to Brisbane and did our two weeks hotel quarantine when I was 32 weeks pregnant. And then I had the girls for almost five weeks later. And did Jasper go with you? No, he didn't. So he had to stay in Melbourne with his dad, which um, we were all really lucky that that could happen. But that. Basically it did mean choosing to go and leaving him which was really hard mm. and I'm used to touring and being away from him but in the end that meant he didn't meet his sisters for six weeks and after they were born but also we didn't see him for 11 weeks which is the longest time I haven't seen him for um, but in the, in the grand picture we knew we needed help if there were some really serious issues um, with the girls which ended up not being an issue after it was all checked when they were, they were born, but it was significantly stressful more than just a pregnancy normally is because of those added factors and you didn't just go for a walk with a friend and you couldn't get your mind off stuff. I think I was at home a lot just thinking, is this okay, is this okay, is this mm. okay? Yeah, it was It was not ideal. No, it's not <laughs> And then... And then what happened after you had the twins? Um so after we had them in Brisbane they they were in the NICU for a week just to be monitored and I mean that's such an like from when they were born the pediatrician could tell that they were both doing really well straight away which was that moment anyone Delivers their baby, and you just know they're healthy, or you're told they're healthy, or you can see it. Something in you can see is just like the greatest gift you've been waiting that whole time. It's just like the relief of that. Um, and I had a really lovely birth as well. But so then they were in the NICU for a week, but we were so lucky. Our babies were so healthy in comparison. They were in the NICU with babies who were born so prematurely, babies with really long roads ahead you know it was we felt so guilty being in there with two really ultimately very healthy babies um you know it it was amazing to see the work that the people do there and the parents that turn up every day and are just doing absolutely you know everything they can with their little 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 baby um to get them home so uh we were able to leave you know, two weeks after they were born. And in the end we settled in Brisbane for a couple of weeks and then we drove down to Sydney so Lockie could go back to work. And then Jasper was able to fly up to us again through a child custody um, sort of exemption to get through that border. Yeah, there was lots of border things. Like now I think back there was, you know, all of that that we all haven't been used to living in. Mm. We're very free in this country. So he flew up after we'd been there and the girls were six weeks old and he met them then. Um, So we had him for I think two or three weeks then. But I still remember he flew up on the plane with his dad but then his dad had to fly directly back to Melbourne. He wasn't allowed to stay. Wow. And so he got left like at the airport. He got dropped, you know, once he'd flown to Sydney, he got dropped into like a little queue or something. And we they landed at International Terminal, which was obviously totally vacant. And Lockie and I were standing there and then around the corner this little boy walked out. There was a police officer with him and a nurse, obviously all masked up and everything. And this little boy, and I hadn't seen him like three months and he was by himself. And, you know, it was, yeah, it was pretty overwhelming. And, you know, still... How old was he then? He was... He was probably five then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, it all worked out in the end. But I do, yeah, like lots of people during COVID, you know, those those special meetings of new babies or those, you know, I can't even imagine the farewells people missed, you know, during those lockdown periods and not being able to be there for those moments. Um, yeah, we were lucky we could have that kind of in the end and then Jasper went back to Melbourne and I think we stayed in Sydney for a bit and then we drove down again for his kindy graduation <laughs> and then drove back. We, we've been on the Hume Highway a lot of times. <laughs> I was feeding the girls in the car, I had my pillow thrown. Yeah, it was, It's you know, it's pretty nuts when I look back to, on that time.
0: And you've spoken openly about having severe postnatal depression. Mm. Um and you experienced that after the twins were born. Mm. Are you comfortable sharing that story? Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure.
0: So when did you first realize that you needed some help
2: with that? Um I think like lots of new mums and I'm sure new dads too, um, I'll probably just say I'll speak from the mother experience because that's what I know. But um I think it takes longer than you think you you know you're so you know you're tired and you know there's baby blues and you know I'd I'd had a child before so I I know that there's phases and I also knew oh phases come and go and then they grow up and then they sleep like they do sleep eventually you know I I felt like I had a good perspective on that you know the journey that it is what it is today is not what it is tomorrow. Um, Just when they're doing something and you think you've got it, they'll like trick you again. So I felt like I had a good perspective on that. But the tween experience is so unique and it took me a long time to accept that it was different to having one. Um, It is relentless and fortunately, Lockie was able to be around so much because of COVID. That is our one like s- such a silver lining. He would have been on tour otherwise. So I was very lucky to have that home support. And even if he was filming, he was able to go in and then come home. Yeah, I I felt it kind of creeping up, but it was quite early before we left Brisbane. Actually, the girls were four weeks old, and I had my six week check up with my obstetrician he said I'll just come in at four weeks it's all good and already by that point I think I'd had a couple of really bad days and then he like how bad's bad and when he saw me and he said oh how are you and I I wasn't even aware of what words were coming out but I just said like death warmed up and he's like okay (laughs) and you know that's not you know that can be a joke, but I think he could see there was like, okay, this is already starting to, you know, be a bit more serious, perhaps. Mm. Um, and he mentioned then too because I was breastfeeding the girls, and um, I, you know, I'm I'm glad that I did. Would I do it differently if I could go back? Probably. I was able to feed them, and I was really glad about that. But it took so much out of me that I I couldn't really realize. And then once I was on that train with the breastfeeding, and especially feeding two, you have to your supply is is a lot. But if one baby doesn't take like as much as the previous feed or whatever, and you swap them every time, I was tandem feeding, and it's always like one wants a feed, you get the other one. I'm like it's it's the routine of it, the schedule of it, and um. I was really good at that. Dances are great with rules and discipline and schedules. Like we're really good at following the directions. Um, so I was able to do that but I think it was so exhausting. I had mastitis like four times that is in like two months. Hell on earth. Yeah, because – you sleep when the baby sleeps Well, with twins that's pretty hard anyway but then the whole time they're not feeding you're trying to clear your mastitis or you're in the bath or you're in the shower trying to clear it and you know rest when the you know rest is good for you all those things are just kind of irrelevant with twins it barely works with one I can only imagine
0: that with two or more Mm. it's just nigh on impossible
2: yeah you Yeah, the looking after yourself is definitely what other people kind of have to do for you but even still it's up to you to feed, like if you're feeding them when it's still you. And I I say that because um, I will go back to the beginning of it but when I weaned the girls, when I finally realised I have to stop feeding them was really when I started to shift out of that zone. So I mention that because while I'm glad I could do it and it was really good for them and they, they were thriving Um, it was contributing to um, obviously low energy, tiredness, fatigue, but definitely my mood. So once we were in Sydney and so the girls had their six or six-week check maybe, um, the maternal child health nurse was so great. I was so lucky because I know it's not always, you don't always click with who you you get. Um, I was so lucky. She was extremely experienced, very pragmatic, not harsh, not cold, but so, so experienced, understanding, and just really clear. She said, "Dana, twins are just something different. It's just, it's just different." It was like the acceptance I I just had to get from that, and that I then enabled myself to have. I was like, "I'm having a really tough time because this is hard," and you know, other people who were having babies at the same time who had just had one, and they were fine. I'm like, I. It's not like that. Like, I can't just get out of the house. Even just going for a walk was hard. Going to get a takeaway coffee was really the only thing I did. Um, fortunately, we, when we were in Sydney, the restrictions were less. So there were little bits of, like, freedom there. But, you know, we I, wa- I wasn't doing any of that. I was barely getting through the day. And I, I fainted on the way to the girls' six-week needles. Is that when they had their first needles? I think it was. Um, Lockie met me from work. He met me up there and I walked in the door. I was filling in the paperwork. He'd taken the girls into the nurse. And I stood up to give the paperwork to the um, receptionist and I just like collapsed because I was just so tired and so drained. And that's that's when it's kind of started to click, okay, like not thriving here. And so the maternal child health nurse was really – Always so on to me about it. And so straight away she got, she talked to me about Tresillion, which is in Sydney, is the, um, where you could go, especially with multiples, you do are able to kind of get escalated a bit quicker till, you know, for sleep and settling. And, you know, I've had a baby. I know, I know what you need to do to settle a baby, but two at once is like, it's like ping pong, one's down, one's up, but then you're trying to get them to do the same thing. So then one, once one was up, you had to get the other one up even if they'd only had 10 minutes sleep Ugh. and 24-7, like not just in the day and then, oh, then I get my three hours sleep at night. It was, yeah, like no other exhaustion <laughs> I've ever, yeah, felt. So I, I really do feel like the, the experience and the conditions of multiple, a multiple pregnancy, which is stressful, a multiple birth, a multiple looking after multiple it so lends itself to the mother just being depleted in, in every way and that kind of postnatal depression and anxiety being – because I wasn't aware you could have both. Mm. I, I was like I feel really sad. I should feel so lucky. Like I know I should feel so lucky and the guilt and the shame you we all put on ourselves. Like, there's people out there who can't, who are struggling so much to have a baby, and I've got two beautiful, healthy ones. Like, pull yourself together. What is your problem? When your brain hasn't slept for weeks, months, it, like it's it's not able. Like, that's no, not the place you're in. You can't logic your way out of it. No, no, it's it's time, and it's it's getting help. So I I was able to get in through the Gidget Foundation. I did have to wait a few months, like everyone. That was such a crisis time. I think for all mums as well during those lockdowns and being at home a lot and not having those mothers groups, not having yeah the the opportunity that you know the hallmarks in your day that you'd go and do that or you'd go to the swim class or you'd and you'd kind of like. Be brave to like do that and get out and but then come home and be like I did that I achieved that you're just at home still at home Yeah. <laughs> still <laughs> not here, going anywhere not, not going seeing anywhere anyone. yeah and the the people knowing your babies getting to meet them it was none of that um so I definitely I started speaking with a psychologist over Zoom which was really good because if I had to go somewhere I know I wouldn't have prioritized it. Mm. Um, It would have been too hard. Who was going to have the twins? My mum was down to help a lot and Lockie's mum helped a lot at the start when we were in Sydney. Um, But even still, like especially, again, when you're feeding, it's you. Mm. It's you again. Um, So, yeah, if I hadn't have had the issues with the mastitis and even still, I should have just like given them a, a bottle of formula at some point in there. But then whenever I missed a feed or whenever one didn't take as much mastitis within, you know, 12 hours. So I actually felt stuck in that cycle. In the feeding cycle. Yeah, and I said to my mum, I was like, I'm never going to be able to wean them. I'm going to get mastitis every (laughs) time. for the rest of my
0: life. Yeah, which
2: is, you know. But we did, I did... um, yeah, I committed to speaking with a really lovely psychologist who, again, I clicked with, which is not always the case. Um, and sometimes I'd have one of the girls with me and mum would have one or something, but it, it really, it really helped. And I had a couple of weeks where I didn't fit it in or I cancelled or something. And immediately I would, I would start to feel. Things kind of creeping up on me again. It it really was vital that I had an outlet to talk mm. to someone professional. Yeah. And what did that? Yeah. What did it feel like
0: for you internally? What was happening for you?
2: Um, I felt really sad and like I wasn't enjoying enjoying the girls poor Jasper was, you know, so happy to see us after that long and he was running around the house and he was playing his trains and he was so loud and I just, the noise just bothered me so much and then I was like, how can you even think that? Mm. Like, he's your child, you haven't seen him in three months but, like, please be quiet. Yeah. I remember sitting there once and I was probably feeding and, you know, all the lights were on, the TV was blaring, he was running and I was like, Someone just, like, stop it all, like the sensory experience was huge. Yeah. Um, So these were the things that started to become really obvious. I couldn't sleep even when I was able to get sleep. Um, So that was when I started to realise how anxious I was. And I think with the two, you're always wondering what's going to happen next you get that with one but you know it's like they wake up from their nap or oh, you can just cuddle them a bit longer It's like but who's going to wake first what do mm. I do if that one does oh but what if, what if that one and then the anxiety about the decision making I still get it still get it it's something I'm aware of all the time even still but I, I'm much better at acknowledging it accepting it like dealing with it but that was when I realized I wasn't just really, really sad and depressed. I felt so low. I couldn't really you know, I wouldn't have even known if the my twins, like what their toes looked like. I never stopped and which is awful. Like, how sad. You're meant to just like, you know, cherish every bit. You made them all and but there was no time. And as soon as they were down, I was trying to give Jasper anything I had. Mm. Um but then, you know, one would wake up 20 minutes later. And I'm like, sorry, buddy, I've got to go. He's like, oh, mummy, but what about our special time? Oh. And you're like, I know. Oh. <laughs> um, and I, again, I had to accept. And he was young enough, kind of, I hope, to get through that time knowing that it would. I just tried to remind my that like, it'll get better as they get older. It'll get better. Mm. But I think. Um, being a second-time parent, I thought I'd be so much better than what I was and it was the opposite. I felt worse at it. I felt entirely incompetent, inadequate, like I, I'm not up to this like at all. I'm not on this level. Um, and then, yeah, I couldn't sleep even at night when the girls were asleep. I couldn't sleep. My mind was racing So I was like, when are they going to wake up? When are they going to wake up? And then – like dividing your time too.
0: Yeah. I found that really hard and yeah. and I only had you know, my second was a both my births were single births. Yeah. But, you know, Marley was two and June was new and I couldn't meet both their needs. Yeah. And so for you you had two really super needy mm. newborns mm. at the same time. Yeah. And
2: what if they both need you? Yeah. Again, acceptance. Mm. I had to accept that it was a and i'm I wouldn't say I'm stubborn, but i I'm quite stoic, I would say, and I'm used to like you in in my profession, like you keep going a lot, like you push through, so like I still had that mentality all through this. I'm pushing through, I'm pushing through, but i I feel like I had to kind of surrender to that. you can't meet both their needs, and again, I had. My maternal child health nurse, which you know, I could say was a mentor in that she's like, "You can't." Mm. I was like, instead of like, "Oh, but like, try harder or be positive," she's like, "You can't." It was like, okay, like this is where I need to go. Um, and for someone really depressed, that can sound like quite negative, but it was actually like I I needed the really practical, pragmatic version of things because I feel like when your brain is so depressed and low but also racing because it's so anxious you know the clarity is not there you actually need really simple things to focus on so how was I going to deal with a moment where they were both crying and I didn't know what to do or who to pick up first how and practicing those skills that I was trying to learn with no sleep like but practicing in the moment how can I you know it wasn't anything fancy like it was simple things like take a breath, pick one up, the other one's going to be okay. You know, I feel like parents in our generation are really scared of like hurting, breaking our kids. Yep. Like I really, I've, I see it in my friends, we talk about it a lot, maybe because a lot of us are working mothers, maybe because we do have passions for our careers as well. There's this like guilt about, oh, but am I not being a good enough mum as well? But I do feel like there's this, we don't want to break our kids and like there's a lot of people, depending on your experience and your preferences, about babies crying or not. And so to me and like my nervous system, having both of them crying, picking one up and being like, I can be this calm presence for this one baby in the meantime the other, <laughs> the other one is screaming it's it was so challenging mm. it still is I had this this morning like <laughs> it's it's still it um gets to me so I I know that about myself now mm. I know some people probably are able to be more of an even keel but I do get triggered quite easily by that um but just knowing that that's actually just how it is and they're going to be fine because you love them and you love them enough every day that if that baby has to wait, then that baby has to wait. And it goes against all your parenting instincts. But I had to learn that. And I have Kate, my nurse, to thank for that. And she said, you know, you having some lunch is important too. So if they have to cry while you eat something, yeah like that's how it is. It's you can't just give and give and give because you know, you'll be left with nothing, and that's not good for them either. Mm-hmm. And we know that logically, but I really, like, I really have to remember stuff like that.
1: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So to
0: recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month.
1: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Oh, you mentioned being a, a working mum, mm-hmm. And obviously, you're very high up in your profession. Mm-hmm. And as a dancer, you very disciplined and there are rules. Yeah. <laughs> which is like the opposite of when you have babies. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah how was how was that either with Jasper the first time round or again with the twins? Mm.
2: Um I would like it's spot on. Like that is exactly spot on this. I actually think there's quite a lot that's so polar opposite <laughs> from like my dancing world to parenting and then there's these other moments where they just like there's such a synergy between them that it's um dancing at its best is really natural and really like freeing and you can be really in the moment. And parenting, when you have that like state of flow with parenting, you're really connecting with your child and you feel like you're doing really well, like you're really sharing that experience like that like they're a very similar feeling to what I feel like on stage when I'm just in my zone. And there's also this feeling of like total lack of control. You go on stage, you've done all the work, but you have to just hope for the best. Parenting, the same. You're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to hope for the best today <laughs> and get through the day. Um, but, yeah, the the giving up of the control. With Jasper, I was probably, you know, being a first-timer. He was a really easy baby. (laughs) He fed a lot and he slept eventually from six months onwards. He slept through the night and he didn't stop doing that. The girls are very different and there's two. So I've had to, again, accept that that's different and I can't control that. I can help influence that um but yeah I as a person I don't think I hold tightly to having control over lots of things in my life in dance there's rules that you follow but I'm also a bit of a wild card so I often go a bit rogue and I'm I'm a bit different I must admit but um yeah in in parenting again it's it's preferences it's really easy to read a book and say that's the way I'm going to do that. That will work with one of my two babies, <laughs> maybe not both. Um, in dancing, it's similar. Like we have teachers, different teachers every day. There's different styles of ballet. There's, um, you know, a European style. It's all ballet. It's like a language. It's all ballet. There's the European style. There's the Australian style. What's that? There's the English style. There's Balanchine in New York. They're all ballet, but different versions of it. And what in ballet what I've had to come to accept and enjoy actually is that everyone has tastes and preferences you know some people like that some people watch the Royal Ballet and are like oh that is the epitome of ballet other people watch the Paris Opera and think that some people watch New York City Ballet and they just love it some people watch New York City Ballet and they're like oh That is not ballet to me because they're really jazzy and it's really, it's so expansive and big. Like, I love it. It's totally my style. But in parenting, it's the same. It's preferences. It's not right or wrong, it's preferences. Some people prefer that their kids are independent sleepers. Some people prefer that they're right there next to them. Some people are happy to be in the night feeding. Some people aren't. I have to try and take the language out that sometimes I put on and lots of us do about right and wrong, black and white, because I can be quite black and white thinking. So I've had to, again, really learn that it's preferences. You can have a preference for, and with twins actually, like when they're eating at their high chair, one of our girls stands up the entire time. (laughs) Like she just will not. You say sit down, sit on your bottom. And so we tried for a little bit and they're like, okay, well if you're not going to sit down out of your chair, you know, you don't get any food; it, it makes no difference to her. So we just got over it. Same with bibs. Yeah. Jasper always just had a bib on; he was fine, like no problems. One of the twins, fine. The other one, no. And it's not worth the battle. So then I had to think, you know, is this really a battle that
0: I need to face every day? And why am I, why am I adding this to my list of battles? Yeah,
2: who, who's watching? That says <laughs> to me, she must sit on her bottom only ever to eat food. I was like. She sees her mother only ever standing when she's eating because she's eating on the run. (laughs) Like, you know, I so things like that I feel like I've learnt to let go because I've had to and because there's two and they copy each other and then you really think, okay, what's my preference here? Okay, we're going to eat without bibs and they're actually fine. They eat their food. It's fine. Yeah. It's really okay. The world keeps spinning. (laughs)
0: Um, when you were pregnant with the twins,
2: you did you retire from dancing? Uh, so no, I didn't think I would come back though. So um, we have maternity leave at the ballet, which is really great. So you normally go into safe duty. So if I was in the office in a non-COVID time, um, you work in company management or philanthropy that's wardrobe awesome. yeah it's really great because you you get to see the company from a whole different perspective work with a different team still be involved still go into the building you can do as much class or pilates as you like so physically you can do what you like you know whatever level of that but you're still involved you're not just sitting at home or you're not just wondering um, you see it from a different perspective and you also can upskill a little bit that's actually really great um And then we have our maternity leave after our 14 weeks and however you play out the next part of it. Um But when I found out we were having twins, I thought, oh, okay, this is – I think this is me done. Like this seems to be telling me that like we're moving into a new phase of life. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, very
0: diplomatic. <laughs> yeah.
2: So it was – um it was actually to get me well again, really, was why I started dancing again. And Lockie was a big big well, he's my biggest support, but he's he was a big um supporter of that from the beginning. He's like, You need you need to go and dance again. I was like, I just I if I get ten minutes, can I sleep? Like, why would I choose to do anything but sleep? <laughs> you know when you just and you think you're never gonna get out of that phase yeah. where whenever something Like doesn't need to be done. You're like, can I just sleep? Like put me to sleep. Um, But fortunately the ballet at the time during whatever lockdown that was um, were able to go in and do class in pods or there were versions of it across the time as the restrictions eased. So I was able to go in to the ballet centre and take a class or something. And I was like, but what for? Like, why would I go in and do class? Like, what for? I'm not dance. Like, I'm not dancing again. He's like, it's not about that though. Like, just go in and have time to yourself. Go and see your friends. Go and do like whatever you want to do for like you know your hour and a half or whatever class is. Like, you just you need to go. And it was like on so many levels, I needed to go. But I did really struggle with the concept of but what for, because I've always not consciously but quite naturally just been driven and I love my job. It's not even a job like I get to dance, which I just love doing. So I was like, but I'm not going to do shows. What? Why? I'm not really someone who's thought about going to do dancing just to dance. I'm like I love doing it at the time but I love working on the repertoire that then we're going to put on stage next week. <laughs> you know, that's – and then I get it's to do the stage part. That's my favourite part, not the like – Keep myself in the mirror and doing class, like it's the stage part. So, if I'm not doing that, what? why am I bothering? Um, still wasn't really thinking very well anyway, um, but he was like, It's just going to be good for you, and it, it totally was. So, one day I just went and had a meeting with David Hallberg, who's um, the new director of the Australian Ballet. Previously, I hadn't worked. Under him, I was off when he started taking over. So it was a new person. I knew him, but he didn't know me. And
0: and how long had you had off
2: at this uh, point? Uh, f- 14 months maybe. Yeah, and I'd been in a different universe. So, like, I walked into the ballet centre with, like, jeans on, which was first time, I can't remember how long, And I found it socially really confronting all the people, even though I'd craved it. It was, I couldn't look people in the eye and I just, I felt like such a shell, but like no one had seen any of it because they hadn't seen me pregnant because of COVID. They hadn't met the girls. No one had come over to our house. A couple people might like really like two people maybe in all that time. So I felt very isolated from the ballet experience so then to go in and he said, okay, so what are you thinking? And I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> but um, tried to kind of get across that I just want to try, like as in just start dancing, not with a goal of something, which is, again, a very foreign idea. He said, yeah, you don't, you don't have to. I was like, yeah, it's really hard for me to grasp that I'm not saying, I'd like to be back for this season. We're doing this ballet at this time. I'd like to get back for that. It was I just want to come in sometimes and, like, try dancing a little bit. <laughs> um, so it was very humble beginnings. So it didn't, um, it didn't, it took a few months. Like I, I wasn't even aware physically actually of, like, the, Oh, I need to get stronger. It wasn't, it It really was a mental break for me it was a mental break but also like recovery it was like remembering a version of myself even though it was a bit painful too because I felt really out of place it wasn't like oh I'm back it was it was it was it was confronting as well but it was something familiar enough that I could work through the confronting part of it and normally we rehab slowly with a rehab coach and she said to me, no, no, because she knows me very well. And she was like, you just need to go straight back into class, like full company class, you know, all the people, all the steps, like not the like very slow back to ballet. She's like, no, 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 because that would have that would have broken me. That's not dancing. Mm. That's like learning how to get technique again. I didn't need that. I needed the joy. Yep. So I started in class and then I did start to enjoy it a lot more and yeah, I did really savour that time and then I was ha- started to get happier at home and it also meant like someone else was feeding them you know like I, I, all around this time obviously I was weaning them I got to seven months feeding them myself and then I yeah that shift was a big one because I got some energy back you know some independence back you know they'd have a bottle with locking while I was at the ballet and for an hour and a half and they were happy as clams. And it was actually such a relief. Like, oh, gosh, like. I can I can leave the house. Yeah, and just like someone else can give them that nourishment as well. Yeah. Um, so then I ended up just like dancing more and then there were shows coming up because everything had been cancelled so much and then a, a gala season was able to be performed in Melbourne, which was the first show since I had been pregnant. Wow. So the company hadn't performed here. And I was like, oh, I, I think I could do that. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that at the beginning. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, can I do that? <laughs> so they were my first shows back. I think the girls were, they might have been, yeah, 15, 16 months or so. It's December 21. And then I was like, oh, I didn't retire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> and now you're back to touring and. Yeah, like crazy. I, I really do wonder every day. I'm like, I'm still here doing this. <laughs> um, and I love it and it's, it's a challenge. Like day-to-day is a logistical challenge. Um, when we toured to Sydney, it was six, seven weeks at a time. My son stays here for some of it because he's in school now. The girls come with us. Um, yeah, we have a nanny who comes with us and then we have mums that help. There's people coming, going, they're front and centre. Um, it's a it's a lot to uproot everyone for that length of time. It's not a holiday, that's for sure. And I'm <laughs> working when we're in Sydney, for example, we're there for yeah six or seven weeks and that's entirely performing so I'm not on every night but I we do eight shows a week and we rehearse in the day for the next season so it's pretty relentless and I think that's why I knew I thought I I can't go back to that I'm going to have twins and a child at school and Lockie's touring like how ridiculous so I didn't just fall back into it but Lockie did you know when we were talking about me dancing again and that was his point he's like don't think about shows I was like why do you even bother we've got it like this is not a part-time job like once it's once you start it's full-time like it's there's no flexible working hours there's no can I not do Fridays you know if someone's injured and you're sharing a spot in the show then you end up doing it every night that's not their fault it's just how it works so there's there's not a lot of allowances that can be made, even though they try. But you know that's just how the industry is. So I was like, oh, but the touring, and he's like, don't think about the touring. So then when it got to, I was like, so we got to think about the touring. <laughs> <laughs> and I must admit, you know it. It's not. I don't actually think it will be sustainable for a long time. Um, but all of this has felt like a bonus chapter of my career, anyway. So. I really do like there hasn't been a show since I've been back since December and I've done lots of shows this year that I haven't enjoyed. It's a, it's a different, I have a different um, perspective and I think that's what makes mothers so valuable in any workplace. Your perspective is so different. You're so productive and in my in my working life, I get to go out on stage and just like sometimes be someone else, like be a different character or, or express music through, through dancing. And it's like, it's such a gift. Like, I just, I still love it so much. So that's why I still do it, even with all the logistics the logistical
0: and logistical challenges.
2: Yeah. And like, for example, the girls don't sleep well in porticots. And there's like everything is about their sleep yeah. if you haven't got that already. Um, <laughs> So, you know, last time Lockie drove Porter Cots from his mum's house in Brisbane to Sydney so they were in real cots because if they're not sleeping for six weeks and I'm working like that and he's working, like, no one's good. No. So we, we do, like, everything we can um, but I'm, I'm lucky because I have the best support in him mm-hmm. because he believes in me dancing um, more than anyone and my mum. And what has, what's
0: like going back to dancing meant for your sense of self?
2: Um, I think, like I said earlier, I think I have to, I had to remember a version of myself. I think I was, I felt so broken and so inadequate. And I do feel like I'm, I'm sure this is quite common with anyone. With any type of depression, but you lose confidence in yourself. But you lose confidence in really simple, basic things, like having a conversation. Or I, I felt like I lost confidence in so many areas. And even though I'm not the best dancer, um, I'm not a star. I'm not. I'm not someone that everyone thinks is amazing. I I am good at it. I'm good enough at it. And I think that's also an attitude I. I've often had that good enough is okay and with parenting I had to really get that. Good enough is okay. You know, we try to be perfect. We we really want to handle that tantrum perfectly every time. And I just don't. I sometimes you do okay and other times you don't and you just try and move on. I think after I mean that's the phase I'm in now, but with little babies and having no or so little control over like I said, getting twins on a schedule, which took about a year to get them doing the same thing kind of naturally, if I want to, but want of a better term. Um, I lost so much confidence in lots of things. And I think dancing, again, gave, gave me a confidence somewhat in myself that, like a seed of it, that could grow. And then that did make me feel more confident as a mother. And you know, I still remember the first time I took them out by myself, all three of them, and someone said to me, like I had obviously before, but I was mostly a mess, and twins get a lot of attention, so people talk to you all the time. And I just I just couldn't. I just was like, can I please just have an invisible cloak? I just, like I don't even know how to talk anymore. Like I really lost what felt like just so, so much basic human, like interactional sort of things, so... But then I it it must it was after I'd started dancing again and I'd probably come home on my break before a show or something. And I took them all out for a walk and a lady was walking her dog and she's she's like, Oh geez, three kids, that's a lot And I looked at her and I was like Yeah But I, I said it with a sense of like yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, like and I'm doing it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it You know, this is like A long time later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I I felt like probably I needed to like tap into a version of me that felt kind of good to then re find at home with the kids what that kind of that kind of person felt like. And then they both kind of, you know, bubbled along together and yeah. And how do you feel
0: about yourself now? Um I mean, you've got a cold, so pretty rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: uh, I can look back and I have a lot of empathy for myself at that time that you don't at the time. You're like, why is this, why me? Like, why why are you so pathetic? Like, why are you so incapable of coping? Um, I look back with so much more empathy and compassion for how bad I really was and... How much help I needed, and to, to just have to have help. I'd, I'd done so much travelling with Jasper, but my, myself, and I was a single parent to him for quite a few years. I was, I was so capable, and yeah, I, I was so, in, I felt so incapable when the girls were little. Um, so I look back now with a lot more compassion, and I am probably much. I have a sense of um, I don't know if it's pride, but I guess it's knowing that I can handle the days and knowing I can I can do my best version. I'm not overconfident, but I just you know I I feel a bit more assured in like being able to manage three kids is a big deal. My sister has two now; she has two quite close together, and she was really important. She'd call me. She'd say, "You know, you know, like you don't have to feed them." (laughs) Then it's like, "I know, but I've got my status again." But she was, she, she knew. She's a doctor too, but she just, she just knew that was a, a way of also maybe helping to get out of, like, literally just a hormonal thing that when you're breastfeeding, like, to take one of that that out of the picture, to like give your brain, like a different chemical kind of Mm. thing but now she's got too close together and she's and she's like oh my gosh like how do you just get through the days and so we have a really nice shared experience over that too and I feel really proud that I can help other twin mums especially because it is so unique and or anyone who's experienced postnatal depression or anxiety you know a lot of it it's I th- there's so much more awareness out which is great it's really easy and especially for well-meaning people or well-meaning people of other generations to be like oh everyone struggles in the first six weeks and I was like no no I'm I would like I am actually like I want someone to put me to sleep like for like a long time that's not the same as baby blues yeah like please allow me to like like me, even like, but it was—it's all internal because you, mm. you don't want to say that. You don't want to say that out loud, no. <laughs> or you know, eventually you do to someone, and they're like, then they realize, or you know, um, to the the right therapist, and they're like, let's let's help you with that. Yeah. like that's a valid thing for what you're feeling right now. I feel really like that's one thing I feel like, oh, like now at least I can share my experience to help other people, and I am always conscious that it's not a negative experience. It's really hard to put an, what was it, kind of negative experience onto someone else's version of motherhood. But I the people who helped me the most were the people who were honest about it. Mm. And that helped me through more than, oh, well, you know, tomorrow's a new day and, you know, pick yourself up. It gets better. It gets better, you know. Oh, you've got beautiful kids, just think about that. It's like, oh, no. Like I wish it was that simple, but unfortunately it's not. So I feel... I feel proud that I got through that and also really glad that part of my experience can be somewhat in any way helpful to someone else and that makes me really glad that I can pass that on. Well,
0: and you're a COPE ambassador.
2: Yeah, too. yeah. And yeah. so what does
0: that entail? That in- Well, you share your story. Yeah. Um, which is, and I'll put a link to you wrote a, wrote a really beautiful article mm. um, for Cope's website, and I'll put that in the link because it's it's really honest and it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. um But so you do, you do help yeah. lots of other women, um, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, it's there's a version of like sharing your story that you're like, oh, there's always some thinking about, oh, there's always someone who'll be like, oh, you know, she's, you know, I'm I'm so privileged. I've got, I do, I have such a beautiful life. I've, you know the most beautiful supportive husband. I have three beautiful kids. I have a beautiful career. We're also used to seeing only the greatest hits version of people's lives everywhere. And it's really easy to think that that's the only version of it. Um, and I didn't share my experience at all for what I felt like was a long time and I'd been thinking about it for a bit. And we're quite private with most of our lives generally. And I was like, no, something in me feels like this This is actually, it's important to share. And if that helps like one person in the middle of the night who's like, you know, having really awful thoughts and or for someone to actually, you know, reach out for help. You know, there's there's so many times that, you know, that phone number is there or, But you still don't do it because you Mm. don't want to be the person that needs to do it. Like can that be someone else? Because I I don't think I need to do that because that means I've really got a problem. Mm. It's like, oh, this is a shared experience, you know, and those those places like Cope and um, Panda and the Gidget Foundation, like they're there for a reason and they're really helpful and they can really help you like enjoy your motherhood which, you know, we all want, like you don't just have to suffer and because it is hard, but you can enjoy it. Like I just, I hope people know that because I was in a place where I was like, how, how am I meant to enjoy this? Like I said, I didn't even know what their toes looked like. Mm-hmm. There's not like, oh, look at all this. It was just such a haze. So I I really do just think the more awareness for everyone, the better. Mm-hmm.
0: I was going to finish by asking you um, what's something empowering that you would say to other mums. You sort of just said it, but if yeah. anything else. I <laughs> um, mm, guess there's
2: lots of things. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think... I, I guess I'm the metaphor I spoke about before about dancing and um, motherhood. For me, it's they've v- yeah they're very closely linked, and it's interesting because when I'm a, at the ballet and I'm dancing, usually in class, things about motherhood always come to me, like realizations or. Not like, oh, I'm going to go home and do this tonight or I'm going to deal with this tonight. Just just like ideas, thoughts, um, kind of like philosophies or just things mm. come to me when I'm dancing about mothering and when I'm at home, especially in the middle of the night, if I'm patting someone in their cot or holding them or things come to me about dancing, it's really funny. But I do think like learning how to parent, learning how to be the mother you want to be, you think you know that version and you can read that version, you can see that version. It can be your friend, it can be someone you admire, you can it's that book that, you know, it sounds so good. Like I would be that mum. Like that one there sounds like really in control and calm and you know, giving and empathetic, but firm. Like, oh I love I love the sound of her. It's really jarring when you don't feel that internally. And I think you have to learn to find who that is and that that goes through phases and some of those phases are ones that feel really like solid with you, like really in line with how you want that mum to be and others feel really different and you kind of have to like learn to walk the awkward steps a little bit to find your dance and I feel like that at dancing because I'm a very different dancer. I look different to everyone else. I've had to find the confidence to be myself in that. When I'm doing a role that other people are doing, really often I've always looked at the other girls and been like, if I just looked like them, it would look nicer. Like they're so beautiful and long and elegant. Like I'm just like a little bit rough and, you know, like I wish I didn't have all this energy that I didn't know what to do with or something. But over the years I've had to learn that, again, it's taste and preference. And learning how I do things and finding the confidence in how I do things is really important. And then I, I really feel like in mothering it's the same. You have to learn your version of that, your dance of that, not someone else's. And sometimes it's clunky and sometimes it's it's a bit more smooth, but it's, it's, it's your version. And the more comfortable you're getting with your version, I think, That is actually the mother you want to be. That's something I've, I think I've had to learn.
0: Lumification is produced and hosted by me, Brody Matner. Our beautiful music is composed by Ben Talbot-Dunn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You'll be notified when a new episode is released and it helps us reach new audiences, which in turn will hopefully help more women feel less alone. Thanks for listening.